So if you've been here the last seven weeks, has anybody managed the last seven consecutive weeks? This morning we had at least half a dozen, which amazed me. But um, clearly you guys aren't as committed. But the last seven weeks, um, as the guys alluded to, we've been doing in a series called Rhythms. And uh, the, the, kind of the, the, the aim was really to press into figuring out what a life lived um, with Jesus should look like in the ordinary things. And we are looking at a few of the practicalities and the things that it's helpful that we remember. And today we're finishing off our series, looking at the, the kind of the theme of purpose. There's a well-known quote by um, Henry Theroux in Walden, which he published in 1950, and it, the phrase is, is this. It says, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And what he's trying to get at is he's tuning into that restlessness that we feel as humanity. You know, it's kind of that itch we can't quite reach, that kind of lingering shadow which we can't properly identify, and just that kind of sense of homesickness. But in 2019, perhaps a better phrase would be aimless distraction. Because it does feel sometimes like we're gyroscopes. We're spinning around at a frantic pace, but we're not actually going anywhere. George Clooney, who's obviously a Hollywood actor on the face of it, has the lot. And yet in an interview um, a few years ago with The Hollywood Reporter, he admitted to loneliness and insomnia. And he said this, he said, Turning off the television causes me to think. And once I start that vision roaring, I have a very tough time getting to sleep. He admits with the flickering screen, I'm able to numb out. And then he says, even then, without question, every, I wake five times every night. And then he went on, he said, I drink at times too much. I do enjoy drinking, and there have been times in my life when it's crossed the line from being fun to having a drink late at night for absolutely no reason. Now, how many of us know what some of that feels like? We may not identify precisely or exactly, but I think we can probably appreciate some of the sentiment that he's being incredibly honest about. How many of us use busyness as a distraction from having to think or to avoid being alone on our own for any length of time? How many, how many of us have gone to a double whiskey to take the edge off a distracting and a tough day? And where's that coming from? What is it in us? We have this longing to feel fulfilled. We yearn to feel settled. We yearn to feel at peace. We want to know how we fit in with the world around us, what our contribution should look like. And yet it's so often we just don't feel that. We feel uncertain. We feel unfulfilled. We're not sure what our purpose should look like. Or if we're living it, it doesn't feel quite as spectacular as we believe it should be. And very often, this is because when we look at our life and purpose, it's because we've forgotten a fundamental and crucial fact. The fact is, your life, your purpose is not about you. And it's our biggest issue because our human nature is utterly obsessed and addicted to making everything about the self. If you look purpose up in the dictionary, it says it's the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. Now our culture tells us that we exist for ourselves, that we derive our purpose and our value from what we consume or acquire, and that is how we measure and validate ourselves against. And yet the Bible says something quite opposite. In Colossians 1.16, the Apostle Paul writes this, 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rules or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You were made by God, for God. And until we understand that, life will never make sense. Living purposefully the way we were designed will always begin with God. And while the focus remains on ourselves, we will never be able to experience life in all its fullness or the purposeful existence for which we were created. The Irish playwright, uh, George Bernard Shaw, said this. He said, this is the true joy of life. The being used up for a purpose, recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clot of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I think that he gets that dead right. You know, he's not making a theological statement. It's not a spiritual statement, but he has captured some of the wisdom of God. We were created by God, for God, to do the things God does, we, were, we are created for his mighty cause, not complaining that the world isn't working for us. So what is our purpose? Why are we here? And let's look at, we, Jesus gives us a clue. In John 17, three, he's praying to God and he says this. He says, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they might know you. The purpose of your life is to know God. The purpose of your life is not to live your best life. It is not to be successful. It is not to be respected. It's not to find a partner or have a family. It's not to reach a 30K salary. It's not to pay off your mortgage. It's not to retire early or travel the world. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment. It's far greater than your peace of mind or even your happiness. It's greater than a family. It's greater than your career. The purpose of your life is greater than your wildest dreams and ambitions because it's to know God. And the reason you have life, the reason you're living right now, the reason you are here in this room for these years, hopefully not years unless I really go on, but you know what I mean. But that's we were here because we're made to know God. In Psalm 139, it just gives us a, just a helpful glimpse of some of God's perspective. I'll just read some verses. O Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Skipping a few verses, he says, you, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, 
when as yet there was none of them. That just gives a sense of how much detail God knows about you. You are created. You are known. He knows you. He knows what you're good at. He knows what you're not good at. He knows when you wake up and when you fall asleep. He knows every word you say and every thought you didn't. When God called the prophet Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you a prophet over the nations. You see, God wasn't surprised when you were born. He wasn't caught off guard as if you had to find something for you to do. He didn't roll the dice. He knew you before you were born. And he appointed you to be you, just the way you are, what's and all. Now, I don't know, I have a love-hate relationship with the festival. I love it because it makes me feel cultured. Um, I don't appreciate six-pound pints of Coors Light um, or the speed at which people walk home from Tesco's. But um, yesterday, I went to uh, an exhibition at Summerhall called uh, 21 Memories of Growing Up. And the curator had interviewed um, about 200 people about their 21st year, or being 21. And he recorded their reflections, their anecdotes, their trivial memories and details. These are ordinary people. Absolutely nothing newsworthy. It was the streets they lived, the places they ended up, the money they didn't have, the jobs they wished they hadn't had to have. It was falling in love, getting married, becoming parents. And then three months after that interview, um, he made them listen back to it. And yeah, the photo's useful because it's quite complicated to understand. But basically, you then sat there with headphones watching them listen to themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sounds kind of weird, but it was, it was actually pretty profound because it was really emotional. There were smiles. There was embarrassed giggles as they remembered births, significant. Just huge numbers of them teared up listening to their own reflections. Children born, spouses who had passed on, love found and love lost. And as I watched them listening to themselves, having to look them straight in the eyes, it was quite a, it was a strange experience. As I saw them, every quiver of their face, it really felt like you're in the presence of something almost sacred. And it gave me a glimpse of how God must see my life and our lives. Because your life is deeply sacred. It moves God deeply. Not the super special bits, not the things that are worth writing home about. All of it. The mundane, the trivial, the struggles, the small details which are completely irrelevant to anybody else's life. And God senses every pang of emotion, every faint hope, every unspoken anxiety uttered by our hearts and he ca it captures his attention and it moves, it moves him. And do, we do we really appreciate the strength and weight of feeling that God feels for us as we go through our days? Because see, our purpose is to know God. What does it mean? What does it look like? What difference does it make? And I've just got four things 
So if we know that our purpose is to know God, the first thing we do is we participate. When God made Adam and Eve, he put them, the story goes, he put them in a garden and he basically said, make the rest of this earth look like this garden. Bring creativity, bring order, cultivate it, develop it. Create environments where human beings flourish. Get to work, put your hand to the ground. He wants us to help. We are created to participate in that creation that's begun and is still continuing. And my father retired uh, three weeks ago, um, admitting that it was going to be a bit of a shock for him, and he's always loved model trains. I thought everyone did growing up, but it turns out my dad's a nerd. Um, but growing up, you know, you'd, you'd, you know, he'd say to your ten, he'd say, I was probably about ten, he'd say, oh, do you want to help me do some soldering, you know, making these models? And, you know, to a ten-year-old, the idea of fire, that's the closest you get. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll burn metal. I mean, but he asked me if he wanted to help. Oh, do you want to help me? Now, he certainly did not need my help. A twelve-year-old cannot help somebody solder. He would have done far better without me. But it wasn't about the finished result. The whole point was he wanted my participation because he wanted to enjoy being my father. And so when God asks us to help, it's not because he's giving us an instruction that he wants done as if we're a servant or a slave. He does it because he wants to enjoy being our father. He wants us to enjoy participating with him. So what are we meant to be doing? as a church what is the church and what is the purpose with that in Ephesians 3.10 the Paul, Paul uh, writes this he says his intent that's God's was that now through the church he uses this phrase the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rules and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord manifold wisdom of God that means we all of us the, the church as a, as, a, as a body and we're meant to be representing God to this city. We're meant to be communicating and living out his values. We're meant to be exposing God's heart. We're meant to be fighting for justice and mercy that are so precious to God. We're meant to be appealing to the legal system. We're meant to be influencing government, health, education, wherever we find ourselves. And if you remember the earlier quote about spending yourselves on a mighty cause, you see, the true joy of life is to be used up for things beyond ourselves. There is nothing more to satisfying, there is nothing more peace-bringing and, um, than spending our energies and opportunities to reveal the very heart of God. And so God says, spend yourselves. Spend your talents, spend your time on loving the world around you. Spend your energies loving the people of this city and you will discover the reason for which you were created. The message of Jesus is live full and die empty and you'll find life in all its fullness. It's a complete paradox, makes no sense. Jesus said, he who seeks to keep his life will lose it and see he loses it, finds it. It makes no sense at all. And yet he's so clear about it. 
did you know it's good to go to bed tired? It's like having a busy day at work. It's intense, it's full on, but you go home tired and you're exhausted and you're satisfied. And God created us. That should be normal. That is healthy humanity. Going to bed tired because we've done a shift that day. And boredom is dangerous. I don't think I need to tell any of us this. The internet is hazardous for bored people. Men, women, it's hazardous. Whether it's pornography or a mild addiction to social media, the subliminal messages that all that communicates, boredom is hazardous. And yet, very often, purpose can protect us from those temptations. So get a cause. What's your complaint? Get a cause. The second thing uh, that we should see if we know that our purpose is to know God is that we relate to him. Throughout scripture, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I have called you friends. Friendship with God is only possible because of the grace of God. It was once impossible. But Jesus paid for our sins on the cross and it says that the curtain or the veil was torn from top to bottom. And if we receive him, if we accept his offer of forgiveness, we get to be friends of God. Now this, when it, the word friend in scripture in this context is not, is not an acquaintance. This is not a Facebook friend. This is a best man at a wedding kind of friend. This is king's inner circle kind of friend. So we spend time with him. We pray, we chat, we talk to God, we do life with him. If our purpose is to know him, it seems kind of obvious that that's what life should involve. We share every moment, the mundane, the miraculous, because that's what friends do. There's no pressure, there's no ostentation expectation. You just involve each other in the trivial and the mundane and the exciting and the vulnerable. And that's why we're trying to get rooted back on the agenda because we, we want to pursue friendship with God together. The third thing uh, that we should find if we know that knowing God is our purpose is we rest. Because if we know that our purpose is to know God, our sense of purpose is no longer defined by having to meet a set of standards or achievements pushed on us by ourselves or anybody else. It's almost as if, if you remember your last exam and you're outside the hall milling around before you go in and it's almost as if Jesus walks up to you in that moment and he says, you got 100%. Enjoy the exam. Now does that mean you don't go to the exam and try really hard? Of course not. You can actually enjoy the exam because there's no fear of any consequences. You can just go and do what you've worked so hard to do. And that is the life. That's a picture of, 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 of life that God wants for us. We don't have anything to prove to anyone. We've impressed, he has given us perfect conditions. Just enjoy doing our best without any fear of the consequences. 
And because of our very nature of being alive, there is nothing you can do to achieve or accomplish to make God think he could have done a better job of you than he already has. And so we can almost get off the hamster wheel and take a breath. We can actually feel free from so much stuff. All the security we need to lay down fears and rest has already been accomplished. And on the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, probably three of the most incredible words we can ever, and they resonate through the beginning of eternity and will go on forever. Because it wasn't just that sin was paid for, it was that our purpose was established. It was our identity was sealed. It's that fear was done away with. It was that the perfection of Jesus could be ours forever. So we can pursue our ambitions and dreams, but we hold them loosely. Because we don't hang our fears or our happiness on them. We can be really competitive, but we're happy to lose. Because our identity isn't resting on it. And we can be free from achievement. We can be free from the striving out of fear. We, we can be free from needing to prove ourselves to ourselves or anyone else. That self-doubt, that sense of inadequacy. Because our purpose is simply to know God and we can't lose that. We've seen how well he knows us. So pretending that he doesn't know us is delusion. So there's nothing we can do to put ourselves in a, in a better setup. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, um, the more we let God take over, the more ourselves we become because he made us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give up myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. So it's only when we're free from this stuff, we actually get to discover who we actually are. Because we express ourselves more freely. We live more unfiltered. We're more happily, shamelessly ourselves. Because our priority suddenly isn't to have people like us or be popular, but it's just to know God. There's a... Um, yeah, no. Let me... Don't ad-lib, don't ad-lib. The fourth thing we um, the fourth thing we see is we see eternity, and you see life is short. This life is not all there is. Some of us will know this more pertinently than others, but this life is short and life is fragile. Psalm one hundred and three says this. He says. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Now they could be seen very, very depressing verses. Personally, I think they're some of the most beautiful Because the fact that I am so finite, the fact that my life is nothing but a fleeting vapour in a moment of time, in the spectrum of eternity, 
makes me very small and God very big. That I am just part of something far greater and far bigger is so good for my soul. And that is the reality. And yet how often do we live as if that is the reality that we fit into? You see, if we don't see our purpose now in the context of eternity, we're going to make some bad choices. We're going to choose some bad priorities. Because the reality is this life is just the nursery. This life is the practice game. This is the warm-up lap. This is just preparation for the next. And the Bible is so clear, you know, this life is not the complete story of your life. So our present purpose here should be informed by that. The other thing that's wonderful is that because we know God, because eternity is ultimately um, where we are being part of, it means when we have a bad week, when we can't see a way through the circumstances we're walking through, God can say with full knowledge and full authority, I know how it feels. And it will not be like this forever. So as we finish, just a few questions. Where in our lives are we making too much of our purpose about us instead of God? Where are we missing the bigger picture? What are the things that we need to surrender that things that we need to lay down that we've been holding on to too tightly. I think a lot of us can end up thinking, yeah, purpose sounds great, but sure, I'm not very useful unless I'm married. How can I be useful if I'm not successful in a job? You know, that sense of advocacy and yet God made you perfectly you to be you nothing more nothing less for reasons and purposes that only you being you can fulfill comparison is the thief of joy it says and yet how much time do we spend focusing on what we're not and what other people or perception of what other people might be which is often nonsense how many of us know the peace of just being us? And sometimes I think the other thing the guys are praying for this morning was there's a sense of almost being, having our purpose defined by other people's expectations. Often by people who are often well-meaning, families who love us to pieces. And actually some of us need to know some freedom from well-meant expectation. Some of us need the, that reassurance from God through the Holy Spirit that actually we, we can say no when we need to. Big, lots of caveats. Of, but God created us to know him and to know freedom. He invites us into purpose, to live purposefully, to spend our time and our energies, knowing that in that we get to be like God, we get to know God, and we get fulfillment and joy and we know the reason we are created 
Let me just pray and I'll hand back to the band. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of your wisdom. We love that your knowledge is so much higher and greater than our own. Father, thank you that you know us. Thank you that we don't need to ever explain ourselves. Thank you that you delight in us despite everything we are ashamed of. You delight in us despite everything we wish we weren't and long to be. And Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, that we would accept you the way you see us better. And Father, we want, we say tonight, we want to be caught up in a mighty cause that is beyond us, that is part of eternity. Lord, we want to escape self-absorption because God, we know we are created for so much more than that. But Father, we are addicted to ourselves and it does make us miserable. And so Father, we choose to accept your invitation of freedom. We praise you for your grace and your kindness and your patience to us. Amen.